First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't generate amusing holiday cards, but it will personalize career paths for your people and let you know which suppliers are best so you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. So we have the Fast Company Innovation Festival coming up, which is very exciting, and it's going to be in New York City from October 22nd to 26th. It's the fourth annual, and I can tell you they keep getting better and better and better and better. We get bigger guests, bigger celebrities, cooler fast tracks. Fast tracks, by the way, are where you get to go inside a company and see how they do things or do fun little games or experiments. It's so cool. And they'll usually treat you as well. So, oh, yeah. You know. There's there's food. <laughs> Lots there's of food. free food and free <laughs> drinks. Yes. <laughs> so if you want to join all this fun, you can go to fastcompany.com slash festival and just because you are so productive, you can use code FC Most Productive to get 30% off your ticket price. We want to give our listeners the chance to experience the full Fast Company experience, and this is one of the best ways to do that. So we're really looking forward to see you there. One more time, that is fastcompany.com slash festival. Use the code FC Most Productive, all one word, for 30% off your tickets. So, Kate, what are your most productive hours? You know, I was never really sure, and I certainly would have never categorized myself as a morning person, but having a kid has kind of forced me to get up early every day, including the weekends. And I have I, heard that. Yes, yeah, there's no, there's no such thing as sleeping in anymore. But I do find it's amazing how much I can get done before noon. Mm-hmm. I'll have run a bunch of errands and, and like done a bunch of things. I'm like, oh, my God, I would normally just be getting up for brunch at this time. But I've also found that I'm most productive kind of like when I have to be. Um, Having a kid has also kind of done that. It's like, ooh, it's nap time. I'm going to get like bam, 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 like a bunch of things done. Although I like to stay up late, like naturally I like to stay up late, I usually am not that productive. Like after work, I find myself like, oh, I deserve to sit on the couch and (laughs) and watch TV and like not get much done. Um, I don't know. What about you? Are you a night owl? I'm definitely not a night owl, but I hesitate to call myself an early bird or a morning person, at least naturally anyway, because I feel like it's something I've actively trained myself to do. I have a pretty long commute to work, so I have to get up early if I want to get in at a reasonable hour. But I'd say that, you know, even with that, my peak time is somewhere between 10 to midday. I've usually had my coffee. Maybe I've worked out that morning. I've knocked off a couple of tasks before I get to the office. And so I try to do all my deep work at that time. I usually start dropping off around 3 p.m. The 3 p.m. slump is a real thing, and we have written about it a lot, and scientists have actually found that your cortisol levels drop, and subsequently your focus and your willpower starts to drop around, like after lunch, around that 3 p.m. time. Um, And I maybe should stop scheduling meetings for then. I mean, okay, I will say that usually meetings are okay. It's more like deep work. I can't sit on my desk and like try and edit a story. It's just impossible. I read the same thing. But it's so funny because there's a lot of things you can do to get over that slump, right? Like, you know, caffeine and and organizing your desk and like going for a walk. But if you're just not productive during that time to do deep work, you know, like what do you do? Like what if your most productive time is 3 a.m.? Welcome to Secrets of the Most Productive People, a productivity podcast where we try to figure out how to work smarter instead of harder. I'm Fast Company Assistant Editor Anissa purvisari Horan, And I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor Kate Davis. This week, we're going to answer a few questions. Are there certain times of day where we're naturally more productive? Can everyone be productive in a 9-to-5 workday? Or does that structure put some people at a disadvantage? 
And how can you figure out what time of day you're most productive and take advantage of that to get the most done? So I remember in college, I had several friends that would really struggle to make it to their 9 a.m. or, you know, 8 a.m. classes. And they weren't lazy people. Like, they were hardworking. They just work better later in the day. And it's interesting because I know that, you know, most of them ended up taking corporate jobs with a typical 9 to 5 schedule. And I think they've done fine. But sometimes I wonder if there's all this productivity and goodness that we're not tapping into because they're forced to function in a schedule that's just not naturally suited to them. Yeah, you know, and of course we've talked about in our previous episode on vacation that most people probably work longer hours than just 9 to 5 in most fields, but there's still that presumption that you'll be available during that time, that you'll be in the office answering emails and and available for meetings at 9 in the morning. And there's a lot of obvious and logical reasons for that. Like if there weren't standard business hours, how could you get work done with other people? How could you schedule meetings? It would be a total nightmare. Yeah, I mean, I would say that, you know, I'm often still working at 6 p.m., but I'll never think to schedule a meeting at that time. And I can't think of anyone who has unless they're in a different time zone or like we have to talk that day. And that's the only time either of us have. And it is interesting because people do schedule meetings for 9 a.m. And maybe that's not when they're most productive. Yeah. You think back at or you think about maybe when you're most productive, but you never think about like when other people are most productive. Like I said, like I schedule meetings for 3 p.m. because, oh, it works for me. My mornings are busy. I have lunch. I think I'm free. I don't want to schedule it too late because I have to go. But like maybe it's the worst time for other people, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. We definitely don't. And we just kind of assume that whatever slot everyone is free, if it's during the workday, that they're going to be productive. And, you know, there's kind of a stigma of someone say, sorry, like, I just can't attend morning meetings. My oh, brain yeah. doesn't work. Oh, my God. I can't head. imagine. Can you imagine if you're like, <laughs> we're, every, we're having a staff meeting and, yeah. at, at 9 a.m. and everyone's going to be there. I just really can't do that. I'm like, sorry. <laughs> like, this, my, it just doesn't my, work for my brain. My, it's, my coffee <laughs> hasn't kicked in yet. It seems so indulgent, but it's really not because it's a real thing. You know, it's there's a thing and we're going to talk about this with our our guest later called chronotypes, where Uh it's like your natural biological inclination of how your brain functions at a certain different time of day. And not everybody is the same. That's kind of where that like nine to five flaw comes in. Yeah. And I mean, that kind of brings me to a next point about when you figure out what time of the day works well for you, because I know I've tried to train myself to do all sorts of different things. I've trained myself to be a morning person. But when I've tried to train myself to stay up late, it just doesn't work. Like, yeah. you know, it was trial and error. Um, I think I'm pretty lucky with the fact that overall my chronotype and natural tendencies tend to align with a typical nine to five workday. I remember when I was a college student and I remembered switching between staying up all night when you realize that you haven't done that thing that's due the next day. But I was always way more productive and I did better when I went to sleep at 10 p.m. and then made myself get up early rather than caffeinated myself and stayed up all night. But I know that doesn't work for a lot of people. Some people can't do that. They can't make themselves get up early in the morning to finish it. Well, it's it's funny because I think there is like a natural, um, you know, in the same way that if somebody said that they couldn't make a meeting at 9 a.m. because they're just not a morning person, there's a natural like tendency to think that morning people are just more productive people. I know. And, and we're like, probably guilty. Of well, yeah, because a lot of our <laughs> most know. popular articles we've ever published have been like how to trick yourself into be a morning person, yeah. like how to like train yourself to get up early. And, and there's just that like assumption that you can get a lot done in the morning. 
it's not necessarily true. Like, I'm sure there are people who get up early and, like, don't do much with their time, and that's just when they happen to get up. There is kind of a stigma against people who stay up all night. Like, oh, clearly they're just hanging out or whatever because, like, nighttime is a more, like, fun time than early morning. But maybe you're working. Like, maybe that's when you work best. And a lot of creative people I know, like, do pull all-nighters and that sort of thing, and it works for them. Yeah, it's weird that when someone says, you know, when we do those morning, early morning stories, some of the people we quote get up at like 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. or something, and then they do their deep work. And it's like, why is that better than, than staying if, up until yeah, 3 a.m.? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like you're doing work at the same time, but somehow if you've like gotten to sleep and you wake up, it's that more somehow wholesome makes you better. Because you're drinking coffee. And the assumption is if you're up at 3 a.m., you're not drinking coffee and like being wholesome and productive. <laughs> I don't know. That's my that's my assumption. But like given how much that we've written about it, I'm sure that we're not the only ones with our theories about the best time to work. Definitely not. In fact, there are experts that really know the best time to work, yes. um, including one that we're going to turn to today to really get some some actual concrete answers about this. So today we're joined by Daniel Pink, an author with several best-selling books about business, work, and behavior. His latest book, When, The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing, helps you unlock the scientific secrets of good timing to help you flourish at home, at work, and in life. Hopefully he'll share some of those secrets with us today. Dan, thank you very much for coming to the show today. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, so before we dive in into the scientific secrets of perfect timing, I want to know, what is your most productive time of the day? Oh, for me, it's the morning. Uh, and that's something that I discovered in part through trial and error, but also uh, by doing the research for this book. So for me, I'm a writer, and the, the greatest enemy of writing is distraction. And so I want to write at the time that I am least distractible, and that ends up being the morning. So do you have any advice for people? If You said you learned like kind of through trial and error, and Anissa was saying that's how she discovered that she's most when the time that she's most productive, too. But what about people who just, they don't know. They don't know when their most productive time of day is. How can they figure it out? Well, that's where the science can come in. And the science, And here's the thing. We tend to move through the day in three key stages. A peak, a trough, a recovery. During the peak, that is when we are most vigilant. And that's what I was talking about before. We're able to bat away distractions. So during the peak, we should be doing our analytic work. During the trough, which for almost all of us is the early to mid-afternoon, Bad time of day, lots of evidence showing that students perform worse in school during that period. Doctors make more errors. There's some really fascinating research on the decline in certain kinds of corporate performance. So during that trough, uh, we should be doing our administrative work, answering our routine emails, doing that kind of nonsense. And then finally, the third stage, we got peak, we got trough, we got recovery. Uh, for most of us, that's later in the day late afternoon, early evening, that's when our mood is high, but our vigilance is low, which is actually a pretty good combination for creative, iterative work like brainstorming. So the first step is to figure out what's your chronotype, which we can do very quickly. The second step is to figure out what kind of task am I doing? Is it analytical? Is it administrative? Or is it um, you know, creative, insightful, brainstorming kind of thing? then we can pick the best time of day to do that. So how can you, I guess, first identify which one of those you are, and then second, adjust yourself to, to adjust your work to do, um, to fit within that? Let's go to the first question first here. It's chronotype, all right? So this is an idea that comes from the field of chronobiology, chrono, time, 
biology, study of life. And, and there is a very, very rich body of research in chronobiology. And if you go wide enough and deep enough into this research, you can begin to piece together the evidence-based ways to make better decisions. Now, there are a couple of ways to figure out chronotype. There are the scientifically validated instruments, basically questionnaires, the MCTQ, the immunochronotype questionnaire. There's something called the MEQ, the morning eveningness questionnaire. But there's also a very simple and very accurate back-of-the-envelope way that, to figure it out. And we could, I could actually do it with one of you in 30 seconds if you want to figure out your own chronotype. Sure. Go ahead. I'll, I'll be the guinea pig. Okay, guinea pig. Let's go. I want you to think about this is an important concept in chronobiology, which is, which is this. It's something called a free day. Free day is a day when you can wake up and go to sleep when you want. You're just following your own natural rhythms here. You don't have a two-year-old crawling into the, your bed and tugging on your ear, wanting some juice. I can totally imagine it, though, in like a fantasy world, yeah. Okay, so imagine that, or even, you know, four years ago. Yeah, okay? exactly, so, yep. So here's what I want you to think about. On a free day, you can go to sleep whenever you want. What time would you typically go to sleep? Probably 1 a.m. Okay, and what time... Again, you can wait. You don't have to wake up to an alarm clock. You're ma not massively sleep deprived. What time would you typically wake up? Probably between nine and ten a.m. This sounds like okay. an amazing day. <laughs> All right. So this is really this is really good. So what we're trying to figure out here is the midpoint of sleep. This is the key in figuring this out. The midpoint of sleep. So one to nine, your midpoint of sleep is going to be five a.m. Here's what we know: if your midpoint of sleep is before three thirty a.m you're probably a lark. Hmm. If your midpoint of sleep, so you ain't no lark. No. Nope. If your midpoint of sleep, <laughs> if your midpoint of sleep is after 5:30 a.m., you're probably an owl. And if you're in between as you are, you're probably what I call a third bird, you're in the middle. Um, and so you are kind of an owly middle person. You're sort of an intermediate but leaning a little bit owlier. And um, and here's what we know about the distribution in the population. About 15% of us are very are, are larks, are very strong morning people. 20% of us are very strong evening people. And about two-thirds of us are in the middle, in that intermediate category that you're in, that I'm in. I'm average. It's great. <laughs> I'm just a lark. You're, you're a little bit less typical. If I were to show you the chart, you're, you're, you're not totally typical, especially for uh, a woman, because uh, women tend to have earlier, in general, tend to have a slightly earlier chronotypes than men. Huh. Um, and so, so you're a little bit uh, somewhat unusual, not like wildly <laughs> crazy. Mildly unique. <laughs> mildly unique is what you are, <laughs> question about that. And so, so here's what we know from this, all right? So yours is actually kind of complicated, but my hunch is that you're going to have your peak of, you, you might even have like twin peaks of vigilance. One of them sort of in the late, late morning, 1130, somewhere around there. I don't see you, based on this chronotype, showing up at the office at 6.30 a.m. and plowing, plowing through your work. You probably have your peak around late morning, and then you might even have a twin peak, another peak of vigilance, a little bit in the late afternoon and, and, and early evening. And so for you, for someone like you, it's a little bit more complicated than, say, someone like me who's very larky. So here's the problem, and we were talking about this earlier, is, you know, typical work hours are 9 to 5 or some sort of variation of that. And you know, between between those work hours or between like life obligations, like I can't sleep till 9am ever, ever, ever again, I have to get up at, you know, six or five or something every morning, even though that's against my chronotype. And I have to have meetings at eight in the morning or nine in the morning, even though that's against my chronotype. And I'm not going to be my most sharp and productive until 1130, as we just figured out. 
so what what can we do? Like, how can I be good at that 9 a.m. meeting if and how can I be good when I at home when I wake up at six and have to wake up at six in the morning if that's against my chronotype? Yeah, hugely important question. And this is actually a big issue for people who for, you know, basically the 20 percent of us, one of, and it's one out of five people. That's a lot of people who are full-fledged owls, who have the evening chronotypes. As you suggest, the typical work schedule is, I think, designed to crush the spirits of owls. <laughs> it's actually a hard problem to solve, but we can work the edges a little bit. So let's take your example of, you're an owly person, not a full-fledged owl, say. You're an owly person. And you have that. What time did you say you're, you, that you have like an 8 o'clock staff meeting? Or yeah, say, yeah, say I have a, a 9 a.m. or 8.30 meeting that I have to get to. Okay, let's say okay, that's a great example. So let's say you have an 8.30 meeting you have to get to, and you're hourly, right? Here's my suggestion on that. Maybe, again, thinking that you might have this sort of a moment of peak vigilance late in the afternoon and early in the evening. Here's what I would do. The night before, when you're feeling sharp during that period, probably, as I said, late afternoon, early evening, during that period of higher vigilance, the day before your 8.30 meeting, I would take 15 minutes 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. Think about that 8.30 meeting. What do you have to accomplish? What do you have to get done? What questions do you need to ask? What information do you need to find? And I would actually make yourself a really, like a small checklist. Bring that with you to your 8.30 meeting. Uh, that way you don't have to rely on your fuzzy, hazy, groggy memory to retrieve these. So that's one thing that I would do. The other thing that I would do before that 8.30 meeting, take a walk around the block outside, clear your head. Uh, there's a lot of good evidence about certain kinds of breaks, particular breaks that we're, where we're, we're moving rather than stationary, where we're outside rather than inside. And so that is going to mitigate some of the downdraft for you of being an hourly person at, a, at an 8.30 meeting. That makes sense. Yeah, I've I've actually done that before. Made made checklists, and I'm Good. I'm all about lists and reminders and and everything. Yeah, yeah, we both are. <laughs> so, um, you know, you've talked about what individuals can do. So, say if you're in a position where if you're a manager and you do have control over how your team can operate, and you have a team of people of varying different chronotypes. Yeah, what can they do to ensure that, you know, those people perform at their best, but at the same time make sure that the team work cohesively together. Do you have any best practices for that? Yeah, that's, a, um, that's another really, really great question. And so bosses should try to get a handle on this, on, you know, who are your larks? Who are your owls? Who are the people in the, who are the, people in the middle? And you can begin to be a, have a little bit more give in your scheduling. And, you know, my advice for that boss is like that old joke where a guy goes into a doctor's office and he says, doctor, it hurts when I do this. And the doctor says, don't do that. All right. So bosses have to be able to clear out space for people to do their best work, particularly for this heads down analytic work. The other thing to do is to be much more systematic about scheduling meetings. We typically use only one criterion, and that criterion is availability. Yeah, we've talked about that before. Yeah. And so we don't think about it. We don't say, what kind of meeting is this? Do we need people to be heads down and focused? Do we need people to be looser and more brainstormy? Is this typical, is this just a meeting about our travel voucher policy? Who's going to be at this meeting? People better in the evening, people better in the morning. Um, and so what I, I think the key is for bosses to be aware of these phenomena 
It's also for bosses to be intentional about about scheduling these kinds of things. I think that what bosses should be doing is to say, ought of these tasks to be done, these questions to be answered, which of these can be done asynchronously and which of these have to be done synchronously? And so what you do is you take the stuff that can be done asynchronously, tell people, hey, do this during whatever time you want, and then reserve, have shorter meetings, uh, focus entirely on the things that have to be done synchronously. I do hope that one of the consequences of, of precisely your question, how do you coordinate people with different chronotypes, is going to be fewer and shorter meetings and conference calls. I mean, I think everybody wants that in life in general. <laughs> um, that's It's really interesting. And, and we were talking earlier about um, meeting times. And I almost always, I mean, you're right. It's just like who's available and what room is available. Are there certain times of day, say everybody is in the t- same time zone or you're just meeting you know, with people within the office. Are there certain times of day that are better for like a brainstorming meeting versus like a status update meeting? For, you know? Yeah, great question. Um, here's the thing. About 80% of us are not owls. All right. And so what we know is that um, for people who are not owls in general, what you have is is people do brainstorming work better during the recovery period, which is late afternoon and early evening. Again, during that period, we're not as vigilant as we are during our peak. So like a a like three or four p.m. meeting time would be good if you're trying to come up with creative like creative ideas. Four, four thirty, somewhere around there. Cool. I did have one more question, and this was something that's not really related to timing, but something I came across your book. How did you come across that Twitter research um, where where people were tweeting bad things in the afternoon across different countries? (laughs) Because I know you mentioned you mentioned like doctors have more make more mistakes and there's more car accidents. And also, is it during that same time that people are more mean on Twitter? For that study, they used a a program called LUC, L-I-W-C, Linguistic Inquiry Word Count, which is like a giant text analyzer. One of the things this text analyzer can do is identify the emotional content of the words in any kind of text. Then they map it against time of day. And this is one of the ways that we found out about these rather predictable changes in mood over the course of a day. In, early in the day, in general, mood is high. But then around, you know, early afternoon, all the way through mid-afternoon, mood just plummets. Um, And then mood slowly recovers later in the day and into the early evening. Mood goes up, mood goes down, mood recovers. It's so funny. Now I'll I'll know what chronotype my Twitter trolls are. Yeah, I was just going to say, I do tend to get trolled in the afternoon. Well, that explains why. (laughs) Wow, wow. Anybody who's spending their time uh, trolling other people on Twitter has other issues besides yeah, chronotypes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, oh, my trolls have all different chronotypes. I'm, I'm getting it all day. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. That's a, sign, that's a sign you've really made it. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. This was so interesting. Thanks for having me. So, okay, you're a third bird. I know. I, I like how that I'm mildly unique. I feel like <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good, I'm going to put it on my, on my bio. And it turns out I'm just a luck. I think my midpoint is like 3 a.m. So I'm that's like so, just a morning person. That's, so, <laughs> that's such a handy little way to do it, too. It's like, oh, yeah, I can imagine my ideal day and when I would uh-huh. wake up and go to sleep and, and then just like really easy math equation. I liked his 
um, recommendation for the checklist. It made so much sense. And yeah. I just, I realize I just do it anyways. One, I do it like when I have a meeting. But the other thing, like talking about like working against your chronotype and being tired, when I first came back from maternity leave and I was like a million things that I was doing, I would forget my laptop charger. I would forget like my keys or I'd forget like there was so much stuff and so much going on that I literally made a get out the door checklist that I taped on the inside of our front door. Now I don't need it anymore, but it was that good like I'm doing it while I'm awake and I remember and then I can go through these things when I'm not at my best. Yeah, I mean, I've done that when I start doing a new thing and and there's like five processes like mm-hmm. even even when I started writing stories or editing I used to have a checklist be like check for this check for this check for this yeah. and it's amazing how like you know you overestimate how much your brain can do yeah and why try so hard when you can just have a checklist yeah I mean it's kind of, of like training wheels you know exactly. you'll like train your brain to work against its like natural inclinations because I can't sleep till 9 a.m. and then hopefully I'll get trained and maybe I won't need that checklist anymore but if I do you know it's easy to have and so now we know that we should be having our brainstorming meetings later in yeah, the day. Yeah, that's, really, that's really useful, yeah. Maybe there will be a day when we can all somehow... Like have our have that one of those ideal days and just work with our chronotypes. Exactly, but yeah, yeah. exactly. Until then, we know how to work better, yeah. Yes. And that's it for this week's episode of Secrets of the Most Productive People. Are you a night owl, an early morning lark, or are you a third bird somewhere in between? Tell us when you do your best work using the hashtag FCMostProductive. And join us in two weeks' time when we'll be talking about willpower and decision fatigue. And in the meantime, for more productivity tips, sign up for our productivity newsletter, Work Smart. Sign-up links are available in the show notes below. You can also find links to more articles on the show notes. And you can follow Fast Company on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Don't forget to listen to our other podcast, Creative Conversation with Casey Affini. This season, he's talked to David Sedaris about his new book, which I just got finished reading. It's really good. The link to Casey's show is also in our show notes below. Secrets of the Most Productive People is produced by Shannon Berner. Bye, everyone. Bye. See you next time.